double your chances of getting funded with Become Investable. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and joining me today, we have Alicia Cooper and Zenon Alain. Today, we are talking about building generational wealth. With us today, we have CEO of KCL Capital Market Brokers, Managing Director of Aspire Fund Management Company, career investment banker and business owner, my big brother, Mr. Kerwin Valley. I want to start this off with a memory. September 2010, it was our brother Sean's birthday. You, him, myself, Uncle Ray, we went out for dinner that night and we had some drinks. We were having a good time. It was, an, it was a nice boys' night. And you put a question to the group. You said, gentlemen, what is one goal you want to achieve by the next year? I think I said something about pass some exam, which I didn't pass. I can't remember what Sean said. I can't remember what Ray said either. But you said that you want to own your own investment management company. And that was September 2010. In February 2011, you rebranded from AIC Capital Market Brokers to KCL Capital right. Market Brokers. So what was the thought process behind that and how did you get that in motion? You got a great memory on that one. I think it starts right there. It started with that idea. Like most things we do, that's the way they start, mm-hmm. with an idea. And at the time, I was the CEO of an investment company here in, in Trinidad and was doing fine. But I realized, and I had great bosses and, and great people to, to learn from, but I realized that my upper limit was capped because no matter how well I did, I was still an employee, even as the CEO. And the way this business was set up, most of the ideas that were in motion were coming from the team on the ground, right? Not the board, not knocking the board in any way, not the owners, Mm -hmm. the managers led by me. So what I was looking at, I said, you know, if the company does poorly with the ideas that I've put in place, you know, and the, the strategy that we're following, if, if it does poorly, just like any sports team, who's first to go? Right. You're going to be the managers, the coaches. Mm-hmm. Oh. And what if it does well? Well, I got all the downside risk if it does poorly, but I have a capped upside if it does well. And prior to that, that dinner with, with Ray, and uh, Sean and you. I was thinking about that because we're getting ready to sell two of these companies or merge these companies with a larger finance institution. And I was co-leading that negotiation with uh, a man I respect a great deal. And I was proving as the CEO to another entity the quality of this business, why this is something to invest in. Why it's something for them to buy. But as I was making the case for them, I was making the case for me. Because they were still saying, well, will you stay on the CEO? Yes, I'll stay on the CEO. And they were looking at who they would pick from the team to run this. And if I was making the case for them, it meant not only did I have to generate profit for the existing owners, I also had to generate enough profit to satisfy the new owners. And the ideas, they weren't bringing in ideas. They were supporting my ideas. So I asked myself, why can't I support my own ideas? I had all the downside risk because if the ideas fail, the ideas fail. Mm -hmm. But if the ideas succeed, great bonus. And I wasn't an owner. I didn't own one share. Mm -hmm. So I said, why don't I just break the cap off the upside? So that was the flash that came to me late in my opinion, because I was in my early forties then, probably 41. It's a young man, sir. Thank you. (laughs) So, but that was, wow, about almost approaching nine years ago. But when I did that, then I went and I I sat down with 
that deal ended up not closing. But I sat down with the owners who were already wealthy men and one, a billionaire, one of the wealthiest men in the world. And I spoke to his right hand and went up to their offices in North America. And I sat down and I said, the next stage of my career, I want to work with folks as opposed to work for folks. Mm-hmm. Because they're at the core, they're good people. So we started mapping out how we could make that happen. And in the end, I was able to negotiate the purchase of their company, one of the two companies I was the CEO of at the time. Right. This was AIC Capital Market AIC Brokers. AIC Capital Market Brokers and AIC Finance. Okay. So I was able to negotiate the purchase of AIC Capital Market Brokers. And we, we structured a deal that worked well. We're able to use their brand name for the first six months and maintain the relationships we've established with the clients. I spoke to my management team principally. And if there were about 30 people in the company, 30 to maybe, maybe about 42, I think, at the time, I probably asked about 10 to 12 to, to join me. And I said to them, look, I, I think I have enough capital to pay you guys for one year. If we're not flying by that time, I don't know. That was at their current salaries. At the current salaries, everything. No one, matter of fact, the thought was that I would have to shrink salaries when people came to join me. Right. Salaries ended up going up. Wow. Salaries ended up going up. And here is the, the thing about it, and this is the big eye-opener in the whole thing for me. One, no one blinked. In terms of the team, they all joined. Everyone I asked joined. And they're still here. So we built together. And what I did is I offered them part ownership as well. So we became a management-owned company. And I think a leading, and one thing I'm, I'm absolutely proud of, at that time, and even now in our management team, we're predominantly f- female-led. With the exception of me on, on a given, any given day, <laughs> right? So that is the team that we put together in as an investment company. But it started with that idea that said, why not? And when I started to look at risk differently, the risk was staying. The risk was staying an, an employee because I risked the opportunity. I risked the opportunity cost of putting my ideas in motion, seeing if they can grow and produce wealth for generations. So I was putting actually my children's wealth at risk by staying an employee in a space that I know and ideas that are already mine. And it was fear. It was fear of, well, what if people don't take my shingle because I was under another shingle? What if they don't accept my shingle? And they don't follow me because I'm not a billionaire already. But they were already buying our products. So it was a little easier because we had something that was working. And then we built on that. And we are approaching our eighth year as a business, profitable every year. Right. Every uh, year. Growing. Our deputy CEO is now the head of the Securities Deals Association from Trinidad and Tobago. We've started a second company, an Aspire Fund Management Company. We started a foundation for our father, yes. the KCV Foundation, run by my daughters. None of that would have happened if I didn't put my ideas in motion and get it in my head that it could be done and speak to you about that's what I want to do. And without the support of my old employers who, who supported us from jump. So you spoke about building generational wealth. And I know that yeah. I know that's the, um, the slogan of KCL. I know that's, that's the premise on, on the naming of KCL. Can you just describe that a little bit? Well, as the name suggests, and I tell you where we got it from, there's a, a proverb in the Bible, and I may have the quote wrong, but I think it's Proverbs <laughs> 13, 21, 22, or 23. It's a religious There's wisdom. You can get wisdom from anywhere in the world. And, and um, the proverb says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Mm-hmm. Right. And I looked around at the people that are wealthy in the world and what they do and how they did it. How did Michael Leachin, who was the owner of 
AIC and the prior owner of my company, KCL Capital Market Brokers, our company, if you will. Mm-hmm. And what they did really is they thought about wealth long-term. They didn't look at necessarily speculating and they got a caught tip and let's see if we can flip the money and make it today and flip it again. He looked at buying good companies and holding it for the long term. And that verse in the Bible says, leave an inheritance for your children's children, not just for your children. So when I thought about that, generational wealth is thinking generationally ahead. We all, and I know none of you have children yet, but (laughs) none of my children have children yet. (laughs) But in that, when they're looking at, when I'm thinking about wealth, I start thinking, well, what if I didn't think about just the next generation, my children? What if I started thinking about my children's children? So imagine this. Let's assume many years from now, you have a, a one-year-old. Okay. And you start saving for his or her education, as we all do. But what if you also, at the same time, for every dollar you save for your one-year-old's education, you save 10 cents for your grandchildren's education, who aren't born, who may not even be conceived. If you build a wealth engine that can allow you to save for your children, and also put aside for your children's children. What does that allow your children to do? And I'm not saying that children, your children don't do work and they get to sit back and feel entitled. They have to work. But it means that they can now think not just about their children. They can think about their grandchildren. And they can start putting aside for their grandchildren. And maybe even for their great-grands. And that's the way of thinking about wealth generationally. As opposed to thinking like consumers, I look around this office and I don't know if you guys can state what in this office, what in terms of what we're wearing, our watches, our, the shirts, anything that we're wearing, what we're drinking, what is made in the Caribbean? What here is made in the Caribbean? And more than that, if it is made in the Caribbean, how is that wealth distributed in the Caribbean? So when you start thinking about wealth generationally, I start thinking about, yes, my family, but then my community and my country and see, is there a better way to balance this? And because it worked for me and my partners, that difference of switching from being employees to owners created a wealth engine that allows all my children to go to school, to get educated. And now they're generating their own wealth. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. Well, well, they're generating your wealth, right? Well, well they, my wealth generated their wealth. But now, together, we're generating wealth for their unborn children. And because we own, we create a wealth engine that when we leave this office, it is still generating wealth. It is still generating wealth, as opposed to having that wealth exported. And that's what happens. We export wealth throughout the Caribbean. We consume, we buy all these things that we need, but we don't make many things. We take commodities, you know, we sell oil and gas and sugar and bananas, and we buy cars and fridges, stoves, but we don't make them. Where does that wealth go? It goes to those markets that make. So I said, ownership is the way to long-term generational wealth creation. And then it becomes a mantra. Let's build generational wealth. So what do you think the hurdle is that people have to get over to move from employee to owner, to take that risk that you took? I say two things. It's fair and trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is, we're trained often, we're conditioned to get a good education because I've lived in Canada for, for years. I've traveled to the U.S., traveled to Europe, throughout the Caribbean, pound for pound, I find people in the Caribbean are just as talented as anywhere else in the world. We get degrees from foreign universities. We're capable, we're talented, but we're not innovating. We don't want to own. We, oh, we'd be an employee who's respected as a good banker, a lawyer, nothing wrong with any of these professions, 
right? But when it says here, your call, you take the baton, you make the last call, that sounds risky. It sounds, oh God, somebody's not paying me. It's either I make or break. And then there's a, there's a mindset of ridicule. You guys might not like this. I'm going to talk about Donald Trump for a moment. Talk, <laughs> talk about Trump. Look at Donald Trump. <laughs> Bankrupt twice, three times. Mm-hmm. And president mm-hmm. of the United States of America. And he still walks with a swagger. Can you think of a Caribbean man who could be bankrupt three times and walk with swagger anywhere? Nope. To lose money. Yes, you can, you can think of it. Tell me. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there are guys maybe who might live in the kind of um, depressed areas and stuff. Right. right. You know, may not have a lot of funds in the yeah. and stuff, but you know, they still work with a swagger, but it might be for different reasons. Yeah. Right. What I'm saying, and I'm not knocking Donald Trump's swagger, actually, I think, okay. Swag on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'm thinking is he comes from a culture that says it's okay to take risk and fail. Mm-hmm. Right. Our culture doesn't reward taking risk and failing. Taking risk and, and succeeding, no problem. But sometimes you fail on the way to that success. And as many people say, fail forward. Learn from that. Pick yourself mm-hmm. up. We tend to run from that. And that running from it is the fear that, boy, see, you knew you couldn't do it, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to, hey, dust yourself off, learn from that, and move on. And the trust part says, if I trust you with my capital, what kind of skull, what kind of scam are you going to rob me? Are you going <laughs> to cheat me? And that's what stops people from saying, okay, well, there's a guy with an idea, We can research it because we're not saying we're just betting. We're trying to invest here. But we don't support the innovators the way we should. Mm -hmm. Even the the infrastructure Mm -hmm. in our market. Don't have um, support for a guy who has an idea. There could be a guy with an idea that's better than Facebook. Or a woman. There could be a woman with an idea that, that helps advance the treatment for cancer or some other important medical discovery. But are we cultivating those ideas when they have those ideas, where do they go with them? Right? Where do they go? So we're trying to create that infrastructure. The infrastructure is not here, but you have to trust that when people, and you put money in, in some of these things, that those people are going to be good stewards of that capital. And we have to get away from the fear mentality that says other people know how to do that. We don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. How do we get started though? So let's say, you know, we're, let's say we are a 25 year old, you know, no start, probably just got our first job and everything. Like how do we start to build wealth the way you're talking about? Right. I mean, I don't have that much capital to our name to invest. Per sure. Se, but sure. How do we start? Well, first, not everybody's an entrepreneur and that, that's, that's fair, right? You love doing podcasts. Being on this podcast is no fun for me. <laughs> right? No, well, it's okay. I don't know who wants to listen to what I have to say. It's all right. But you like to, everybody has the thing they like to do. Right. So, what I'm saying, the mindset is one, if we want to build generational wealth, we have to support businesses. Governments anywhere in the world, they make their money from the business sector. It has to be something that adds a value to the economy. You buy the shirt because you like it, because it stands out in your view. Right? You buy that. I don't know anything about anything. Is that a chain or necklace. a necklace, whatever that is? You buy that because you like it. Mm-hmm. Right. It has to add value. And the governments tax those things that add value. That's what governments add, add money. People think if they put the money with the government, which is not bad, it's the safest place. Mm-hmm. But the government is always earning its money from the private sector businesses. Mm-hmm. So the government ability to have money and ability to be safe is only as strong as the private sector and the strength of the private sector businesses within its borders. So I'm saying to people, start investing in businesses, not all your capital. You can start in funds. Some people who love, I happen to love looking for businesses that we think could be next generational businesses Mm -hmm. and telling those stories about those businesses and people who are busy in their day job and doing other things can take 1% 1% of their capital and say, we'll expose it to those businesses. Because if you take 1% from everybody, 
you can support a lot of transformational businesses. And you only need a few good businesses to transform an economy and to generate and to catalyze that economy and catalyze that mindset. So I say for those people who want to start out, you don't have to go, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. That's not what I'm advocating. Forget this. I can do this all myself. I'm saying work with people who believe and understand and are looking for good businesses throughout. If you're in the Caribbean and you like the Caribbean, you believe that the Caribbean is a good place to invest who are looking for good Caribbean business stories and next generation Caribbean businesses and direct some of your capital to them and demand from them and expect from them the reporting, the controls, the diligence and all that. And that's a good way to start and talk to people and financial advisors about building a portfolio. You don't have to bet the ship. It doesn't have to be this risky profile. It's the mindset that says it's good to invest in businesses and we diversify those investments, and together we build generational wealth. So, I mean, Zanan and I were talking about this just the other day, right? So there may be people who actually have money to invest and so, and they want to invest in these businesses, but they may not necessarily have access to these businesses to invest. Like, how do they get access? How do they, how do they get how do they start there? How do they get involved? Well, and we recognize that too, because we actually, there was a, a company that started up around 2010, 2011, here in Trinidad. And we recognize when we were scanning the market, and we are investment professionals. We do this every day. We couldn't find a space to put equity capital, ownership capital, mm-hmm. in that business. It had a good story. It had a good prospects for success and, and international success. But there was no professional capital. This is we being KCL and then later on Aspire. Yeah, that's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. Because we were looking and saying, hey, who can, if we needed, if this company needed some money to make it attractive to bankers, some professional equity investments, and other people who'd come in to own, people who don't want to run the business, but people will say, hey, we like your business story. We think you guys are good managers. We'd like to put our $10, our $1,000, our $10,000 with it, with you, and invest in the future prospects. There was no fund in Trinidad and Tobago to do that. And we looked, so we had to create it. Now we are hoping as we create it, and I know there were others over time, others that, that didn't work out well, but if we created it and then we tell people about it, then you can invest your money with professional money managers who are looking at these stories. But you gotta do your homework on these guys, right? Do your homework on us. We welcome that homework. Yeah, that homework being would make sure that the company is run by good managers. Well, when they, I'm saying you may not have the time, wherever you are, to go and pick different companies and hear the stories and comb through. Mm -hmm. Because our job is to say no more than we say yes. To find those good stories, 10 good businesses. That's what we're looking for at Aspire. 10 good businesses that we can help expand and build so that these are household names 5, 10, 15 years from now. That's what we're looking for. And you have to weed through, just like when you're prospecting for gold. Mm -hmm. You have to weed through and sift through a lot of considerations. And people don't have the time for that. But they do have the time to say, who are these Aspire guys? Right? Who are these guys at KCL? What are they about? What's their track record? How can we get to know them? And we say, please get to know us. Take your time. Kick the tires. If you believe, like we believe, that wealth is created through owning good companies. And when you look at the wealthiest people you know, as my old boss, Michael Eichin, used to say, and continues to say, I'm sure, the wealthiest people that you know are business owners. Mm-hmm. Every time. Yeah. So if you have, you invest in a company that's investing in companies like that and looking for those long-term quality companies. That's the way you can start, right? And doing the due diligence on us is saying, what's our track record? How do we perform? Do we know what we're talking about? Do you share our view that the Caribbean needs to own more than it does? You know, I think it's the top 10% of the families in Latin America 
and the Caribbean that own the majority of its wealth. Mm -hmm. Okay? So owning the majority of the wealth, I think they may own over 70, 80, 70% of the wealth in the Caribbean. So we want to expand that pie, and we think we can. But if you believe that we can find good businesses, look for companies like ours. If not ours, companies like ours. So how do we define a good business? That's a great question. First, we say, and these folks at Morningstar and, and Warren Buffett, I think they, they do it well. They talk about a moat. They talk about, and what they mean by a moat, you think about a castle and then what's protecting the castle. Something that protects that business, which is usually a competitive advantage. And more than a competitive advantage, they talk about that advantage being sustainable. Mm-hmm. What is a sustainable? If you're selling apples, and I'm selling apples, and you're selling apples, what's the differentiator? At some point, some, some day, somebody's going to buy your apples, they like your smile. Some day, they're going to buy your apples, they like your, your smile. And some day, somebody's going to buy my apples because they like my price. And when I reduce my price, you got to reduce yours, and you got to reduce yours. That's a commodity business. There's nothing that differentiates the apple. Mm-hmm. But if you convert that apple to an apple pie, and you make a solid apple pie, and I can make an apple pie better than uh, you can make an apple pie, and better than you can make an apple pie. All of a sudden, people want my branded apple pie. Can I create, look at Starbucks as an example. How do you get a business, KFC, because everybody makes fried, fried chicken. chicken. And I love KFC. Right. <laughs> but, but we know KFC. There's something that is, that's their moat. They have this secret recipe. And how can anything be secret in this day and age? But somehow they've been able to build that franchise and build that brand and protect that business. So you look for that. You look for companies that have a sustainable competitive advantage, something that differentiates them from the others in the market that they can defend and protect for years. The folks at Morningstar, Warren Buffett, they talk about five years to 10 years. And if you could get companies that can go out to defend it for 20 years, it's difficult to find. But if you find those types of companies, so wow, you really have a differentiator here. Mm-hmm. And these days you talk about a 10x differentiator. Are you 10 times better than your next competitor? It doesn't have to be to be a successful business, particularly when you're playing in the middle markets where we play, companies that are expanding. But you still have to be better. So that's one. But just because you build a better mousetrap doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. So we look at your governance and your ethics. So the character of the company and the controls around the company. And I said governance, not management. I'm not saying management isn't important, but management changes. You get an offer from someone else. You, your family decides they're going to move somewhere. So we can't just bet it on management. For the government system. The system. system that you're putting in place or you're willing to put in place, okay? You're willing to put in place to protect your business. Do you have a board? And you don't always have to have some crazy huge board and become bureaucratic. We're looking for businesses that are nimble and agile when it comes to serving their customers and innovative. But they think and they build an infrastructure to support growth, support them 5, 10, 15 years in the future, right? They're thinking that way so that there's a transparency. I was speaking about trust earlier, that you can trust management, governance systems, and you can trust that you can see through what they're doing with your capital, okay? And they're happy to show you. So we look for those things. Those are the two of the key criteria, right? Do you think so within those governance systems, it's important to kind of focus on continuous because we talk about innovation and a lot of people come up with these unique products or unique offerings. But then you see, if you look back, you know, there are these major companies that have failed 10 years later because they didn't continue to innovate and they adopted kind of traditional systems. So how do you judge a company's, yes, we don't have a crystal ball. Right, right. But how do you judge a company's kind of value system in that way to continue to innovate? And, it, and it's tough. And that is 
the culture of the of the company as well. If there's anything in this podcast and this conversation that we're having tonight that is the key takeaway to me is everything. Is everything. Every <laughs> single thing, every word. It's everything. <laughs> is the need for an innovation and an innovative mindset within the Caribbean, supporting our creatives, supporting those people who come out with those next uh, gen ideas. Uh, new world over as well. The world over. Yeah, the, the, the world over. Yeah. So we have a Caribbean focus in like company. So forgive me for that. But that's fine. it is that need mm-hmm. to think innovatively and say, okay, do you have that culture? When you look, when a company starts to do well, you may forget that the competition is looking and you have to continue to differentiate. And if you don't have that culture of differentiation, I don't care if you're a business or a country, Mm -hmm. okay, you're going to be taken over. You're going to be a net importer as a common country because you don't have, you're not investing innovation and technology is going ahead of you. Mm -hmm. And you're going to stand there and then somebody's going to show up at your shores one day and take what you have, right? So you have to keep innovating and you have to have that mindset. And now if the companies, you can only look to their their systems and the structure and where they invest. Are they investing in window dressing for short-term performance? Mm -hmm. Or are they investing in innovation? What's their R&D budget like? Now, not every business has R&D in that way, but they may be thinking about how do we innovate to deliver better service to our customers all the time. It could be small things, but it makes a difference to the customer because it really matters. But you have to see that in the culture of the organization. Because you could see that with like Apple. Yeah. How it kind of went dormant for some time. Then Steve Jobs came back and brought it back to what it is. Well, Mm. has been. And then you look at Blockbuster, which no longer really exists. Right. Because they didn't take advantage of current trends and they refuse to innovate right. Netflix has come and, you know, right. taken over. And, and I think there's a difference in terms of investing in innovation versus investing in a technological platform. Right. right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And when you get stuck in a platform, mm-hmm. you know, my time it was albums and right. yeah. beta and VHS, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that was it. But if you invest in that as opposed to watching, okay, how do we innovate? How do we mm-hmm. keep uh, current with what our customers are seeking. Right. And even if the industry is failing, how do we move to another industry? You see that in the broadcast industry right now. They're, they're questioning, well, what is the platform? How do we distribute content? How do we protect content? Exactly. And the winners are going to be those who figure out what the customer wants. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that mindset built into your culture, because it can't be built into a given manager. It has to be exactly. built into your culture of the organization. We have a sign up here that says culture trumps vision. Culture of the organization is going to drive that, whether you get lazy or you continue to innovate throughout. So, Kevin, the, the culture of Trinidad right now, as you said before, it's more of an employee as opposed to an owner culture. How do we make that shift from employee to owner as a society? Well, see, I think, because I say the talent is immense. I often describe the talent that I see throughout the Caribbean people with degrees falling off the side of their, yeah. their cards, mm-hmm. right? Well-educated, know a lot. Yeah. But when it has to take that, that step mm-hmm. that is considered to be risky, mm-hmm. people stop. I've also said that I have relatives that live on I- islands, mm-hmm. but don't know how to swim. Now, I'm not I'm saying by any means you're one of those. One of those. One <laughs> <right>? of those <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm a strong swimmer by any means, mm-hmm. right? But, the education mm-hmm. that we would have received as youngsters is that the sea is dangerous, <laughs> which is true. The solution, stay away from the sea. Others may receive the education. The sea is dangerous. Learn to swim, swim. Yep. learn to sail, mm-hmm. learn to ski, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying when we look at risk, it's, the, it's up here. It's our mindset. The risk is not learning to swim. The risk is not learning to sail when people come sailing onto your shores. That's the risk we face. So it really is just that mindset that says, hey, why don't we 
invest in innovation. Not innovating is the true risk. That's not an easy task. It's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. So what we said we would do, that's our thesis. That if we invest in innovation, let's prove that it generates wealth and it de-risks our personal lives, our families. It de-risks our communities. It de-risks our countries. So if we can prove it, and one thing is with intelligent people, seeing it done, seeing people step, sometimes fail, get back up and take that chance and take that opportunity um, to build something. And when they see, well, Kerwin Valley, look at him. He's scruffy, he's teeny, but he did it. He built an engine that his kids can be fed and his grandkids can be fed. Yeah. And he is... Just like me, what or about I'm his brother. Though? What about his brother? And then his brother. <laughs> and his brother. <laughs> yeah. But when you see someone mm-hmm. who is no more talented than you, yeah. do something. That's part of the message. You said, maybe I can do that. What mm-hmm. did you do? I bet on me. Right. So what do you think the difference between rich and wealthy is? I guess it's a, it's a great question. The way I look at wealthy mm-hmm. is how far out you can provide or you can sustain your families, right? And when you see wealth, I would also say, as, as many others have said, your money is working for you. Mm-hmm. You can be rich working in a, in a great job for someone, mm-hmm. right? But you're wealthy when you can be on a beach somewhere and generating generational wealth wealthy yeah I know in one of your presentations you define true wealth as peace of mind joy laughter courage right. continuous learning and all right. that you know all that nice stuff right and i guess i could say it another way too no tie you know yeah. the what? day no when i yeah. never have to put on a tie and what is a tie for so, <laughs> <laughs> you know so when you are free to enjoy the fruits of, of our, your labor in a, in a real way. So money, and when I talk about wealth, it sounds like we're talking about capital. Oh God, I've got all this capital. But I'm talking about the quality of life. I'm talking about the freedom to choose how you spend your day and your evening and where you spend it, you know, and being able to generate engines that provide for that. Money is just a means to that. So the real wealth is healthcare. So being physically fit, and if you can, like my dear wife and her um, get bodied program. Give her a little that body by suit. Get bodied by suit, right? <laughs> but being yeah. being fit, being able to spend time with your loved ones, being able to be on that beach, right, or where you want to be, being able to help others if that's what you want to do, that's real wealth. So wealth defined that way. And even the wealth of nations that says you feel safe mm-hmm. to walk your streets, mm-hmm. right? We should feel safe to walk our streets. A nation where you don't feel safe is not a wealthy nation, in my opinion. Right. So that, that is how I, I see real wealth. And I think the Americans said it great. The pursuit of happiness, mm-hmm. your joy. You know, it's funny to hear an investment banker talk about no tie, especially no in tie. the Caribbean. Right. See, <laughs> <laughs> see, there are a lot of trappings of wealth and materialism, consumerism. That's all fine. But I was content once I could make sure that my kids get a quality education. And everything else was gravy. If I drive a nice car, if I get a nice suit, it all becomes gravy because the real wealth is, in, is inside. The real wealth, for me, anyway. So wealth is intrinsic, really. To me, it's intrinsic. To me, you can have millions and billions of dollars and be miserable. Mm -hmm. And there's some people just really happy with uh, a fishing rod made out of a a branch of a a tree branch Mm -hmm. and some shrink. You know, happiness comes from inside, within. Mm -hmm. And all those trappings to look the part doesn't necessarily mean you are the part, right? So some of us like a little old cognito, walk around. Others want to show, hey, 
But you should be free to do whatever makes you happy that way. I'm just saying we need to believe in ourselves, right? And build our countries when we continue to import. And I think Aliko Dangote said this, a wealthy African. Right. Uh, Nigerian. The, that's the um, African conglomerate that owns. Yes, yeah. yes, right. Nigerian conglomerate. Right. He said, when you import, right, commodities and, well, not commodities, appliances and everything. When you are a net importer, you're importing poverty, mm-hmm. right? And we like all those trappings. Those trappings are great. But I'm saying, how many of those things could be made and purchased in the Caribbean? If you could, or wherever you are, whatever you are, your <laughs> nation state and build your, your country right. so that that innovation is local. How much responsibility do you think the government has to support innovation from that respect? Because the private sector, I think, is responsible as well, right. but creating that system. Right. See, the private sector to me is always a driver. Mm-hmm and the government and an enabler. Everything comes down to leadership. But somehow, when you're looking at that treasure map for generational wealth, mm-hmm. we miss the point that says, stop it. We, we got education. Wow. Mm-hmm. But then the step that said, go to innovation. We missed that one. We think that passion isn't important. So you think, okay, we can set up this business. Oh boy, the business isn't working. We can set up a venture capital and we can set regulation for venture capital. And then it doesn't work because no one's really passionate about it. So the government has to recognize that education, absolutely important step. Most Caribbean governments do a great job at that. But when it comes to innovation, we lag the world in our investments in R&D and innovation. Once the government makes that connection, that leadership connection, that it's really important to support our creative sectors, our our scientists, our fashion designers, our TV and film producers, right? Our engineers, though that innovative class, our novelists, and we really invest in podcasters, our podcasters, (laughs) you're innovating right now. So all that sector who has ideas and want to put those ideas in motion. If the government doesn't create an environment, many of our large asset management institutions aren't structured in a way to allow for meaningful investment Mm -hmm. in innovative small companies. And that leadership in in, in government is needed to say, hey, let's enable this environment so that can, can happen and let them come to us. And then we have to move at a pace that supports them, right? So you want to talk about this presentation you made the other day on finance and innovation. You spoke about the money in the middle, right? that middle 30%. Yeah. You know, there's a 10% right. on one end, there's a 60% on the other end. Can you just paint that picture for us? When, when people ask me, and it, it, it's my way of trying to explain what is behind Aspire, why we set up Aspire Fund Management Company and we're focused on, as I say, next generation companies. We had KCL, And we help and we tell stories about innovative companies in the Caribbean looking to expand. Mm -hmm. But many of these companies need, uh, what we do is provide capital, but a particular type of capital. And what I say, it's the middle 30, the money in the middle that no one is providing. So what I do, I I set up a bit of a pyramid to sort of show this. And we'll show that pyramid in the video. Okay. At the bottom of the pyramid, It's the founders, those guys with the idea, the innovators. They have the idea. They don't have a lot of money usually when they have the idea, but they have a good idea, right? And they're ethical. They've got a good moat protecting the idea. Mm -hmm. Usually, they can come up with the first one for every dollar that they need to put this idea in motion. They can come up with the first one to 10 cents, okay? And banks, and I've been a banker for years, so I understand this, and I, I and I, I don't knock any bank for this. It's appropriate. When they come to the bank and say, "We got, you know, the first one to ten cents," and here's my idea, the bank says, "You know what? You need forty cents." But when you get to forty cents, the top of the pyramid, so the bottom of the pyramid is the ten cents. Mm-hmm. 
the top of the pyramid is the banks that say, we'll give you the last 60 cents. We'll give you the last 60 cents and we'll take some collateral. We'll take whatever we have, you know, your house, your car, guarantees from other things, other companies you may have, whatever it is. We'll give you the last 60 cents protected. And that's fine. There's an absolutely important role that banks play. So that leaves the innovators, the entrepreneurs, that founding group say, okay, we got the first one to 10 cents. The bank will give us the final 60 cents. Where do I get that middle 30? Mm-hmm. And in our markets, when, when I was telling you about that other story, and incidentally, that company now that we supported is about to do its initial public offer from an idea that a husband and wife had to now employing, paying taxes, and expanding, and now saying, hey, eight, nine years later, we are going public. But they wouldn't be able to do that with their first 10 cents and the bank's final 60 cents if someone didn't put in that middle 30 cents for every dollar they needed. And in that case, KCL, AIC, and now Aspire put in that middle 30 to give them the opportunity to go to expand and be what we consider a next gen company. So that's what the middle 30 is about looking for companies that we can put that middle 30 as professional capital to work. And that is the equity amount in every capital structure. There's debt and equity. And usually it's 40% equity and 60% debt. Okay. All right. As we look to wrap up now, I'm going to ask you, one question that I got from cleaning social media. So I put out a survey on social media. I put out a question to social media asking, if you had three minutes with a successful investor, what one life-changing question you would ask that person? I got a number of responses. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask the top question. The top question is, if you lost all your money, where would you begin to get back to where you used to be? With my ideas, back to that innovative idea. What value add can I offer to the marketplace? What can I create, right? And sometimes that might be for a time working for someone. That's the best value add I can offer. There's nothing wrong with that. But at some point you're thinking that getting to generational wealth, it's not going to happen without investing in businesses. And you can be a passive investor in terms of investing in funds. You can be an active investor in terms of owning and guiding companies, Mm -hmm. right? But it would have to be with the ideas. That's where it all starts. I would say every time, everything we see in this room, everything we wear, even listening to me now, started with somebody's idea. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Is there anything that we haven't asked that you want to leave us with? can't really think of anything right now. (laughs) I think it's great what you guys are doing. I I think it's great to talk about investing. I think it's very important for the bottom 99%. And I say the bottom 99% because wealth around the world is owned by the top 1%. Mm -hmm. And I think that wealth is not scarce. It's abundant. And I think it's for us to mine that wealth and look for the innovators. So thank you for the time. Anything else, Alicia, Zanon? Well, one thing from me, right, Kerwin. So Mm -hmm. speaking from somebody who I don't really have a lot of experience at all in finance and a lot of people I know are in the same position as myself. So how do we get in a position where we get out of the mindset that we should come out, get our good education that we get? come out of school, go and work for someone. And our biggest risk that we should take is probably investing in a property or investing in real estate. Because that's what a lot of locals, a lot of Trinidadians, that's what we think is, that's what we think is investing and generating wealth, right? Investing in real estate, letting it grow. So how do I kind of move from that to kind of diversify my portfolio? And and I'll go back to the analogy of learning to swim. Mm -hmm. You don't learn to swim by jumping in the deep end and say, forget this job and forget that house. Those are a job and and a house are great investments, Mm -hmm. right? Just dip your toe in Mm -hmm. initially, right? Wade in. 
talk to advisors that you trust about your portfolio, your risk tolerances, and your vision for your future. Where do you want to go, right? I'm saying included in that, in this mindset, the only seed I want to plant is that there should be a space in your portfolio for investments in companies. That space could be if you have $1,000 to invest, maybe just 1% of that, Mm -hmm. you know, in that space with trusted advisors. You don't have to go and say, okay, I'm going to give it to one company. You can invest with trusted advisors who take your 10% of that $1,000 and put it in 10 companies and report to you. I'm saying it's important that the mindset is it's important to learn to swim. And that learning to swim is investing in companies as you invest in real estate and home, as you invest in other things. But it has to be customized to your risk tolerance. Some people won't sleep nights if they lose that yeah. that percentage, mm-hmm. right? But others will sleep fine. So it has to be customized, but it starts with recognizing the importance of it. And I'm saying if we don't invest, just like if I stayed where I was, the opportunity cost is great. Yeah. Okay, great. So speaking of trusted advisors, where can we find you? Where can we find KCL Capsule Market Brokers? Where can we find Aspire Fund Management Company? Well, aside from reaching, unless you're myself. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's a wonderful thing. We're located in Trinidad, but like you, we welcome conversations globally. You can find us via our website. We have all our contact numbers there for both companies. Mm-hmm. Happy to talk to you if you're interested in what we have to say about growing wealth in the, in the Caribbean. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks you. A lot, Thanks for the scotch. Thanks. <laughs> I think it's my scotch. Yes. <laughs> Special thanks to Kerwin Valley for dropping that wisdom on us today. If you enjoyed that episode, make sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. Subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we are out. We are out.